Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined tonight by Jason Jones, covers the NBA and the Sacramento Kings for The Athletic. I, of course, am joining you tonight from my floor in an effort to try to plug into an Ethernet cable and get better Wi-Fi, or no Wi-Fi, I should say. Uh, but Are you were, lying on the floor? I am sitting on the floor. I'm not okay. lying on the floor is too much. I mean, but that would be a really interesting angle. Like if you were actually on your back right now, lying on no, the floor. I, I, I'll give people the view. This is the kitchen. Okay. <laughs> In the kitchen. All right, stop messing with your Wi-Fi. You are you already crapped it out. You're 20 seconds into this thing. Yeah, lying on the floor oh. would have been very impressive, though. Yeah, it would have been. But anyway, so uh, as I mentioned, joining us tonight, Jason Jones. Uh, Long Beach Poly's own. We were just reminiscing about your your football career and all the pros that played with you while you were down there. Yeah, I had a couple of guys. Um, it was funny. Uh, one of them was Marcus Anderson, who went to UCLA, played for the Packers, and then eventually at one point played for the Raiders. So I'm covering the Raiders at that point, and I'm covering my high school teammate, which was very interesting. <laughs> were you guys close? I mean, like, did you – I mean, we knew, I mean, we weren't like tight or anything like that, but we, you know, we were on the same team for two years. So we knew each other well enough. And I'd wrote, wrote written about him when I was in college. I wrote a story about him after the whole UCLA uh, handicap um, uh, parking scandal. Oh, yeah. Because he was a part of that. And it was a tricky thing because back then, you know, he, he clearly didn't want to talk about it, but he knew me. And I was, we were, we were at the same age, so it was, it was you know, the college paper. He talked to me about it. I talked to his whole family. I'd actually met his father when I was a young kid way before I met Marcus because his dad did a lot of community work and, like, mentors, mentor, you know, mentoring type stuff. And I was in some, like, summer camp, and his dad spoke to us. So I'd met his dad way before I met Marcus. So, like, uh, you said you graduated in 96? Yeah. So that's like after the the era of like Snoop and Cameron Diaz and like all yeah. these different people out we in Long Beach. Yeah, we were the group after that. So um, I went to high school with Snoop's younger brother. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so right. we were like, you know, the, the group, the kind of the generation after that, that when they filmed the What's My Name video, a bunch of us, no, not me, but a bunch of guys did cut class because the video was filmed right across the street from Polly. So, like, during that period, was that Snoop starting to rise and everybody hearing about his, you know, your 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 class? I don't know what which Brodus he is, but uh, I don't I don't know his first I don't know his first name, but yeah, uh, the the younger are people starting to hear about the younger Brodus's older brother? Yeah. Oh, by that point, yeah, because that was about my by junior year. By then, he was you know the biggest thing in the rap at that point. But I think Deep Cover came out. I was probably in eighth grade, and that was just a big deal that we had never seen a oh, rapper yeah. with a Long Beach hat on. So we were like, "Oh, y'all see that video with the long, you know, with the Long Beach hat?" And then by the time we got to high school, he was the biggest rapper in the world. So yeah, we were. That was a big source of pride for the Poly kids. We played Snoop, Dub, Shaq, Warren G, all that every every bus trip. You know, I think Summertime and LBC came out before my senior year. So every road game, that wow. was our song. That is cool. Can I say, can cool. I say yeah, something? We had, we, had a, we had a cool bunch there. Can I say something that's going to sound kind of stupid? And I realize it sounds stupid. I, I, it does, I don't picture like you. You talk about Snoop and all these with a lot of famous people. I don't picture them as somebody who have like little brothers or like big <laughs> brothers. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying? It's like 
he's like, like this person like you forget they come from they like nor like people who have families and brothers and sisters and parents like snoop is just like this icon onto himself at this point the idea that like he has a little brother that people went to high school with just felt yeah. odd because <laughs> we're from the same neighborhood and we're both from the east side long beach so we're from the same neighborhood and actually the one time i met snoop I was still in high school. He was just like hanging out at the record store VIP, just hanging out. It wasn't like he had an entourage. He was just there. <laughs> so it's a, you know, to see him now hanging out with Martha Stewart. And it's like, I remember I, when he was just Snoop. I was just going to say, like, it's a toss up between Snoop, Mike Tyson, and like Ice Cube in his own right in terms of when they broke out to where they are now, like the transformations mm -hmm. that you could never see coming. Like Snoop being this ubiquitous pitch man, you know, who works with Martha Stewart. Like he and Martha Stewart have become this odd couple. Ice right. Cube becoming this family-friendly comedy fixture. Or like Mike Tyson. You know, like what, what Mike Tyson ended up reinventing himself as. Like, you know, putting aside the, the issues that, you know, Snoop and Mike Tyson dealt with early, you know, early in their careers and early in their fame, like however much you can compartmentalize that, just the actual transformation is unbelievable. Yeah, you couldn't have told me back in high school that Snoop would be hanging out with Martha Stewart or when I have kids, they would see Snoop as like this friendly, lovable, like, wow, with Snoop. You know, I was like, no, I was, like I said, I was in the 90s. I, was, I remember the murder trial. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. Or, or, okay, how about this one? Ice T has become one of the longest running at, like cops on TV. <laughs> the guy who wrote Cop Killer has become one of the most, yeah, like he's become one of the most iconic cops. Like, that's just nuts. Well, Cube, Cube plays like lovable dad characters now in movies. Yeah, and like I said, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Ice Cube, and you couldn't have told me back in 91, 92, I'd be watching Cube and Are You There Yet, or I'd be going back and forth with his son on Twitter about the <laughs> Lakers and <laughs> talk. You know, you wouldn't have told me that, you know, because I, I remember the old album cover where he's posing with his kids, and I'm like, you wouldn't have told me me and, the, and O'Shea Jackson Jr. would be discussing the Lakers on Twitter. Yeah, O'Shea's awesome. That, yeah. that dude's oh great. Oh, my God. That's he, that's crazy. I, I don't know anybody who I, I know. We know a lot of Laker fans just from doing this for a long time. I don't know anybody <laughs> who gets as into it and like you like to the point like they they had. I think like it was TNT the other night had like the live cam on him and yeah. you genuinely worry about him because I mean I watched the, the the guy eat like you know he's he'll take down some cheeseburgers and this and that like I don't know the heart may not be fully prepped for this and you see him just like his eyes are bugging out. I worry. Yeah, I saw a couple of people like, oh, man, somebody check on him. Yeah, you know, and I know when I, I, I've watched games where I just can't sit down during the game. You know, mm -hmm. I go through that, especially with Dodger games in October. <laughs> but watching him watch the Lakers, I was like, okay, yeah, that's me. Yeah, for, for yeah. people who are unaware, Jason, you've maintained your L.A. sports fandom. I mean, you, you cover whatever teams the Lakers play objectively and all that. You do your job well, but – you are still at heart an LA sports fan. Oh yeah, I can't, you know, I can't rip I can't rip that out. I mean, Magic Johnson was too big a part of my childhood, the Dodgers, you know, even for me it was the Raiders, even though I ended up covering them which was a almost a traumatic experience when you have to cover the team you grew up cheering for. 
you know, but yeah, I'm, I'm LA guy to the core still, you know, to the, I just, just who I'm going to always be, you know, I'm an LA guy. And I think maybe 20 years ago, maybe people would have been like, Oh, you can't say that. But I think now with the way social media and everything is, everyone knows everything about everybody. I mean, my old job right. put on my bio on the website, I was a Laker fan. So <laughs> then they, then they put that on my bio on the website and moved me to the NBA. So of course the fans received me well with actually telling me to go away and take me and my Kobe love and, we you, we know you you know what happened in 2002 you know we were robbed and I, I try I usually play nice but when they get when they get a little feisty with me I'll tweet the Robert Ory you know game for you <laughs> if Adam is to remind them you know just I mean it's really petty on my part and I probably should be above that but sometimes wow. they get a little personal with me and I'm like I'm gonna remind you <laughs> where I'm from and what happened in that series that is. That is amazing. Like the idea that you have this sort of adversarial relationship with your with your readers, not not because they don't think you do a good job covering the Kings and you've been doing it for a while with the athletic, but just the idea that they they still hold like 2002 against you personally. Like yeah. this is somehow your fault. They want I mean there's some of them who want me to come out and like say admit that game 6 was rigged. Like, just admit it. And I say, well, I did watch game seven. And then I'll, <laughs> I'll then I'll, I, they can't beat me in the arguments. I said, what about game five where Weber set a moving screen on Derek Fisher? <laughs> uh, no, I said, okay. I said, what about this? You know, they, it's, it's a fun game for me because I really have no personal stake in it. I just think it's funny. And then I always remind them that you can argue with me all you want. Laker fans don't really care about the games. I'm like, you're really irrelevant to let the Laker fan base in case you didn't know. I said, you call it a rivalry. It's not really a rivalry if the other team doesn't care about you. This is amazing. I've never it, seen it, a writer it, 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 was a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a fun little game with most of the, it's, it's a fun game with most of them. It, now it's all in fun for the most part. There are some of them who still take it a little too seriously. I have to remind them that, like, you know, I say, well, you know, Vlade was a Laker first. And what I did one time was my first ever autograph from a pro athlete was Vlade. I wrote, I was still, I rode the bus to a Ralph supermarket and got my Vlade Divas rookie card autograph. So I tweeted that one day and said, just in case you guys forgot, this is where, Vlade, you know, this is where Vlade started. It's where he ended his career. So did Doug Christie. Yeah. Yeah. And I know one time, true story, one of my, our buddy Sam Amick one time, First time I met Doug, he goes, hey, Doug, you know, he's a Laker fan. I said, hey, Sam, you know, Doug was a Laker. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I think about a bunch of the dudes from that era, like John Barry was a Laker at one point. A bunch bunch of dudes like played for the Lakers from there or were Lakers before they were Kings. Yeah. Or in the case of Mitch Richmond, he ends up a Laker at the end after being a King forever. Yeah. Yeah. So... But like you so Andy and I were talking about this on our podcast, uh, that the one that came out today. Normally, I mean, we we understand that most basketball fans, at the very least, I don't want to say res- maybe resent is the right word. Laker fans get irritated with Laker mm-hmm. fans, don't particularly like Laker fans, and I under- completely understand why. Yeah, but I'm not. Do you think that applies actually to this year's team? I feel like this is the maybe the one year that people look at this Lakers, particularly given how the Clippers played and went out and look Mm -hmm. at the Lakers as like sort of a a team that's 
for the Lakers, much harder to dislike. Do you do you get that sense at all? A little bit, but there's people who still hate LeBron. That's true. So it's like there's it's like you know I know after they uh, clinched and got to the comp to, to the finals, I was looking on my timeline. It was like this weird mix of Laker haters and LeBron haters who unified. A bunch of them were Warrior fans too. They all jumped into like this unify against the Lakers. But I mean, this is. I don't know how you don't like this. I mean, to me, it's a very likable team. You know, really you don't likable. have that. You don't have that villain. Like, you know, Kobe was a villain. People hated Kobe. You know, Shaq made fun of everyone. You know, it reminds me more of back when Magic was playing. It was hard to hate Magic. It's kind of to me, it's hard to hate LeBron or AD just because their person, the way their personalities are. You know, and then, you know, and I have fun with some of the Clipper fans. I know, too, because I even before the playoffs started, I kind of just felt like I mean, I was halfway joking in February, I said, they'll probably lose in the second round. I just felt they were a weird team. I just said something about that team isn't right. So, and I think the, the way Paul George went out, it, it, it took some of that Laker hate and shifted it on the Paul George and the Clippers. Yeah. We were, we were talking about that on, on the recent podcast as well. Like the, the Clippers and the Rockets, I think in these particular playoffs in the West, became the heels and I think the the dislike team in the way the Lakers often are just mm-hmm. because of you know institutional dominance and you know in the same way the Yankees or the Cowboys can build up that type of resentment. But like you said, Jason, I mean we we've covered this team. They're a very, very likable team. They're very enjoyable to be around and and I can only imagine that comes across when you watch them on TV, if you happen to be inside Staples Center. Like last year's team, for example, had a lot of guys on it that I think were likable in a vacuum, and a lot of them are the same guys that are on this year's team. But that team was not fun or enjoyable to cover in the slightest. It was miserable. (laughs) And this year's team has been completely different, and it really began with LeBron completely buying in totally a new, like the minute they got Anthony Davis. And and to LeBron's credit, I mean, he really set a tone of investment and and buying in and a leadership that was inclusive to everybody that honestly wasn't there last year. But, you know, last year's last year, this year's this year. And you're right. They're they're a very, very likable team. I mean, I think just objectively they are. Yeah, I think if you don't like these guys, you just don't like the Lakers, period. And no matter, you know, they could all go out and, you know, feed homeless children and you just would say they're doing it for clout. You just don't like them. But I, I find this group to be, you know, you know, you look at Caruso, I think JaVale's, you know, Dwight's story, you know, returning back to the Lakers after the way, he, you know, he, he went out the first time. Just, you know, Rondo becoming playoff Rondo. And I know Rondo from when he was with the Kings. I talked to him the last time the uh, Lakers were an interesting up in, experience. Yeah, actually, Rondo is one of my favorite guys. I've gotten all these, you know, warnings about how, you know, you know, he's weird. You know, he's different. Me and Rondo hit it off from day one. How did you do that? Because, because I can tell you from most that's, people around us covering That's not it, an easy thing to do. No, not at all. I think it was something really simple. Uh, I think it was uh, the first time I had a one-on-one interview when we were tra- they were doing training camp, I want to say, in Santa Barbara, I think. And he was sitting down, like, you know, sitting down when I was about to start talking to him. I just sat down next to him and like I didn't stand over him. And it was like 
he was like, thank you. Because, you know, guys don't like it when they're sitting down and you're standing over them. You know, it, from there, we just hit it off. And to this day, whenever I see him, you know, we're good. And even when he was playing in Chicago, he had that stretch where they weren't playing him. I went down, you know, he was sitting on the bench. I went over and talked to him. I said, how are you doing? He said, I got a good, you know, I got a good seat like you have. <laughs> you know, so me and Rondo have always, I, I got along with Rondo great. And I had heard all these people have warned me, you know, be careful. And, you know, he might be kind of tricky to deal with. I never had one issue dealing with Rondo. And in, in that's, which is, I mean, particularly in that context, because that is, that's often looked at as like, you know the worst of that you got from Rhonda. Like, what did what didn't work? Like, what was the problem? I mean, I understand the team was garbagey, but is it a little bit like the Jimmy Butler thing that we're seeing now, where you just in the wrong environment, what he does and what he the way he approaches the game just cannot work? Probably in some cases, but in, in Sacramento, it was just it's Sacramento. I mean, that entire team hated George Carl. So you got an entire team that hates the coach. I don't care, you know, then, you know, and then the way it all went down where the season before they'd already fired Malone. They fired Malone pretty much. It was one of the craziest. I still can't believe it went down like that, but it did. They oh. fired Malone. The entire team now has to play for Tyrone Corbin. And I felt bad for Ty because Ty didn't do anything wrong, but they all hated playing for Ty. And then they get George Carl thrown on them and they hate playing for George. And so the next season, Rondo comes in and then Rondo is the, uh, you know, the point guard. He and George seem to have a good relationship. And then one day we were in, but we go back to Boston and they're having a little bit, you know, all the Boston media is asking him about Rondo. And I don't know if I think George was kind of being like, you know, you know, tongue in cheek. And because he he'd always tell us, you know, before every game at shoot around, I sit down and talk to Rondo. And then at, in Boston, for whatever reason, George says, and sometimes I wish Rondo would just shut up. <laughs> and and the next the next day we, they play the Celtics. They they play the Celtics. I go to the game, and Demarcus is like, "Hey, Jay, come here." He goes. Did George really say that he wishes Rondo would shut up? I go, yeah. And and DeMarcus looks at me and goes, and Rondo's the only guy in here that defends him. Wow. <laughs> and from there, it we went to Cleveland after that, and it became a circus. And one of my favorite moments was they got mad at George. They Cleveland blew him out that night. And Rondo looks at me and does this. And then he just lays into George about voluntary practices. And that started the whole, they're going to fire George. And the players thought he was going to get fired. And then he didn't get fired. <laughs> well, I, I remember, I mean, George, the, the best and worst thing about George Carl, depending on the context and how you're looking at it, is he has no filter. And right. he just says whatever is on his mind. Like, I remember... Years ago, um, I think I think it was the it was the 2009 playoffs, uh, the Western Conference Finals, when it was the Lakers versus Denver. Mm -hmm. And you know, this is maybe a year removed. It's like a year removed from when Iverson was on Denver, and then right. they they flipped him for Chauncey. Correct. Correct. I, I, and I remember there was a pregame media session, and George Carl's talking about how this current Nuggets team is more mature 
than the previous years. And, you know, they just seem like they have a little more stability. And he's like, you know, and, and you know, AI, you know, we're, we're, he's just taking guys out and, you know, he's keeping them out all night. And he's going, I'm like, <laughs> you know, you, you can tell this story without why, why actually, say, yeah, it's like this, this doesn't need to be in it. You don't actually need to say that it was Iverson doing this. Like, you know, you can just say that guys weren't as professional. You don't have to actually give all of the details. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie and say I didn't find it entertaining. But at the same time, I'm like, I, I'm starting to get why this guy who, from the outside looking in, seems like such a blast, like ends up inevitably mm -hmm. bugging the crap out of all of his players. Like, yeah, I'm starting to great for us. Yeah. Somebody told me, he said, you'll never have a, you know, an empty notebook with George. You know, George was great, even though there was times where George and I bumped heads. You know, he knew I was really you know, good with Demarcus and the players. And one, we were, we were they were about to play the Clippers, and I was asking about Rudy Gay playing the four. And he kind of went on this whole thing about guys should just be happy to play. Why do they even care what position I call them? And he says, "Why are you asking me that? You're going to write whatever you want to write anyway." And I'm like, "What did I do to you today, George?" <laughs> <laughs> and we would have these. We'd have these random where he'd be like, "Oh, what do you want? You know, what do you want now?" Moments. And then the, probably we had a couple of weird. One of them was after uh, probably the weirdest one was I had before the last game of the year. My story that came out the day before said he was getting fired because he was going to get fired after that game. So we go to shoot around in Houston. Everyone's looking at me. And I'm like, I have nothing to ask him. He's getting fired tonight. <laughs> and he's looking at me. I'm looking at him. I'm like, okay. And then, you know, and I think I, I talked to George this, this year. It was a great conversation. Like I said, he's great to talk to. And he'll even tell you that probably his biggest problem is that he says too much. Yes. I think that's fair. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's, but I, when you tell stories like that, and like we're all used to, you know, the the I mean, there was drama in the Showtime era, you know, when you especially when you start peeling back. There's just different era. You didn't see all of it. Right. I, I we can all agree. Plenty of drama in the three-peat era. Uh, well documented, and you know, there was a, plenty of Kobe Pow tension and this and that. You know, all the stuff about Black Swan and White Swan, and mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot. Of, none of that has happened this year with the Lakers, and so. Yeah. When you see this team, and I, I mean, I, I, I think Frank Vogel doesn't get nearly enough credit. I mean, obviously, LeBron is sort of the, the front and center of that, and AD is not the kind of guy who's going to stir up a lot of that. But Vogel's ability to – it is harder to manage superstars and people give it credit for. Right. And Vogel's ability to keep this whole thing completely drama-free all year long, it's been kind of remarkable, I think. I, I think so, too. Remember, when he got hired, everyone was saying, well, he'll get fired by February. It'll be Jason Kidd coaching the team. You know, he kind of came in. I think but I think he took the right approach. He he didn't take that personally. He didn't try to come in and prove he was the coach and he was in charge and make some crazy statements about how he was going to tell LeBron what to do. And it was his, he just kind of just does his job and doesn't, you know, crave or seek the spotlight. And that's, I think when you have a guy like LeBron on your as the as your top player, you're never going to get credit anyway. So just go ahead and do your job and let people say what they're going to say. Don't try to fight that battle of, you know, this guy, I should get more credit. Just go ahead and do your job. I think Frank's done a good job with that. He has done a really good job with that. I, I also think, too, there, and I've never asked Vogel about this, and I, mean, I don't think he'd ever say anything on the record about it, but 
in in some ways, when you are perceived, I think, as you know, very understandably, uh, fourth, fifth choice, and and we know he wasn't the first choice because they interviewed other people. Right. And you know, honestly, I think if Jason Kidd hadn't been considered in a lot of ways optically nuclear, nuclear, he might have ended up the coach anyway. Right. But I I think Vogel, in a certain way, it was liberating because you could look at it as like, look, I might get fired anyway. Or if I'm going to get undercut, if I'm I'm just going to coach my way, I'm just going to do what I want. And ultimately, if I'm a seat holder, I'm a seat holder. So I can't do anything about that. So, you know, it's there's a certain, I think, freedom that comes with that. And, and, you know, assuming you're actually up to the job and Vogel was, you know, he I still look at this one moment as, as one of the most important moments of the season for the Lakers this year in game two. He sat JaVale McGee to start the second half of a game against Utah and put Anthony Davis at center and ended up putting Caruso, who to that point had only been playing sporadic minutes at all, in in the starting lineup for the second half. And this was after everybody knew AD didn't want to play the five. That's all, you know, and the Lakers had been catering to that. Again, before Alex Caruso was widely considered the best player in the NBA. Right. And this is where that happened. It was before we all knew he was the GOAT. Right. But, like, that that took some balls. Like, to, to play did. that card in game two took balls. Mm-hmm. And it ended up working. But I think that's also the type of thing that you end up getting respect really quickly from guys like LeBron and AD. I think so, too. And it, it's, a, it's a way you, you're asserting that you're the coach and you're in charge. But it's not in a me, me, me way. It's a thing where you're saying, you know what, we're trying to win a game. I'm going to do what I have to do to win a game. And then I think it's carried over throughout the season. You see him in the, you know, in, in the Rocket series. I'm going to move AD to the five, this, you know, for the rest of the series. I'm going to start Dwight. And I think because you have the respect of your locker room, you can do things like that. And there isn't a, you don't hear, you know, little leaks about players side-eyeing Frank for, this move or that move, those guys are still engaged on the bench. They're still having a good time. So I think you know he'll never get any credit for this, but I think he's done a great job. Just like you said, things like that. Are you surprised at all at how well AD has played in, like, throughout the playoffs, just given the spotlight and the, the pressure and all that? Not especially because I think the the one the you know, he'd had a he usually in the postseason he's had good numbers. He just couldn't mm-hmm. get in there. And, you know, they had that series a couple of years ago against Portland where they destroyed Portland. They just ran into the Warriors after that. But, you know, he – I'm not completely surprised. I just think that because he was down in New Orleans, because he was, you know, and let's be real, a lot of people weren't watching Pelicans games. I mean, they didn't really know how good he – that how good AD is. I mean, there were people arguing that you don't give up Josh Hart in a deal for AD. I mean, they're like, we can't Ooh. give up – <laughs> We can't give up Lonzo or Brandon Ingram for AD, and it's you know. And I was Ooh. like, "Who was making these arguments?" I don't know. Well, I don't know. Really 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 the media, you know, well, and, you know, they would they would be like, "No, that's too much. You got to." Well, okay, the, the the too much factor, maybe, and you know, and the deal, you know, the the circumstances of that deal ended up so out of control because you know the trade deadline went just so publicly sideways. Right. And, you know, I don't think the Lakers were negotiating from a place of strength no. when they when or you could say Rich Paul was negotiating. Or, from a or, place you know, of or as we learned the other night, LeBron wasn't negotiating from a place <laughs> of strength. 
That's yeah, my we, favorite thing of guys say when LeBron brought me here. <laughs> well, LeBron, he said, said the other, he brought in brought in in. But, <laughs> but all that being said, like individually, would you trade Lonzo for Anthony Davis? Absolutely. Would you trade B.I. for A.D.? I love Brandon Ingram. The yeah. answer is yes. You know, I, Josh, yes. Like the picks, yes. Put it all together. Was it a lot? Yeah. But look at how well Anthony Davis has played in these playoffs. Mm-hmm. He's been amazing. Yeah, my my take was always that if ever, if all the young guys were were superstars, you wouldn't there wouldn't be a need for an AD trade. So if you got to package three of them together to get to get the superstar, to mm-hmm. me in the NBA, you always go get the superstar, no matter what. You go get the superstar. Yeah, and I, I think that's what we're learning. Like in this playoffs, you know, the Lakers have a questionable bench they've got you know you know you you worry night to night where scoring is going to come from and it's you know they don't have you know they're short on guards they've got like three guys on the team that can dribble um and pass and like you know it's like that's that's what they are but their best players are so good and like davis is a you know is it what was he sixth in mvp voting this year and has played better than that in the playoffs and lebron was second and has played better than that in the playoffs. And when you're when your team has two of the three or four best players on earth, you can get away with a lot of stuff. And you know, it's it's not football, it's not baseball where you know you really, you know, LeBron gets to bat more than four times in one game. And so you see now why teams bend over backwards to get as many of these dudes as possible. And quite frankly, the way LeBron is holding up and the way AD is done, like this doesn't have to necessarily stop this year. Like they actually do have a little bit of a window here, I think. Yeah. And then that's my, always my argument about the whole depth argument. People would say, well, the Clippers are better one through 10. And I always say they don't get to play 10 on five. Depth is great on, on 2k and over the course of a season, but in a seven game series, you're not, you're not going to worry about, okay, well, is the tenth guy gonna gonna hurt me? It's like okay, two minutes to go in the game. Who are your stars? And I think the Lakers are reminding everyone when you've got stars, that's how you close out a series. Your stars close it out, and then you need your other guys to fill in where they fill in. You know, do what they do, but it's still a star league. So, so what do you uh, with this uh, finals coming up on Wednesday, Lakers Heat? Like, what what about the matchups intrigue you? Like, what are you going to be looking for watching this? I want to see who starts off defending LeBron and how they kind of cycle through that between Jimmy, you know, Jay Crowder. You know, what do you try with that? And I just I wonder how they're going to do the Lakers come out big and force them to put Bam on AD? Or, or do you know, do you try to do that little trick where you say, we'll go with a smaller guy like Crowder and maybe he can stay in front of him, make AD shoot jumpers? So I think I want to see the chess match. I think Spolster's a really good coach with things like that. And I mm-hmm. want to see who's going to you know, force the, the hand of the other team first and how, you know, you know, do you get the Lakers to downsize? And if you do, even if the Lakers small team is still a big team. I call them medium ball. Yeah. I, I so, you know, their, their version, of, I mean, AD is not a small guy. I mean, if you're using Kuzma and LeBron at forward, that's not small. KCP is not right. small. Or Marquis. <laughs> Like, I mean, that was that was the thing about the when they downsized against Houston, right? They were still way bigger, like right. way bigger. It like it's not like they went with AD at the five and then 
LeBron and a bunch of guards. Like they're right. playing Kuzma, Markeith Morris. You know, the, these small, are not small, guys. frankly, is Miami. Like Miami has one guy who's listed on their roster as a center and he never plays. I mean, it's Myers, Myers Leonard. Nobody yeah. else is even, they don't even bother calling anybody else a center. And, and, yeah, like, and like even with Bam, Bam is still, I think, too small for AD. Yeah, I think I would say so. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's going to. I want to see just kind of how they play the matchups. Who goes the zone first? You know, Spo knows LeBron, obviously. You know, and I think how much do you I, think I, that matters? Like, I mean, LeBron's been in the league seventeen years. I mean, is there anybody true. who doesn't really know LeBron's game? Because that, that's a talking point that's come up. Like. Nobody knows LeBron's never had to play anybody in a finals that knows him as well as Eric Spolstra, which is true. But I'm trying to figure out if that matters. Like, how many secrets are there at this point? Yeah, I don't think there's any, a whole lot of secrets. I think maybe he just has, he may be comfortable coaching against him because he knows him. But I don't think, you know, I think I saw a thing today where they were like, you know, Jimmy Butler, you know, held him to 41% shooting as the nearest defender. I'm like, so. <laughs> They, they can pull up all these little stats. Of, well, you know this guy <laughs> historically, you know, you know, in in a minimum of seventy five times being near LeBron when he shot. It's like, okay, so what? Well, here's a here's a question in terms of the idea of any advantage Spo may or may not have coaching against LeBron. The way he knows LeBron, like on a mental personality level, like as opposed to the way he plays. Like I agree with Brian. Everybody knows. LeBron's game by now like the the tape on LeBron has been pretty plentiful at, at this point like he's not, not like when the Cowboys when like did that preseason scrimmage so the Rams couldn't see they did it without numbers so the Rams couldn't see their players it's a little different than that right but like the idea <laughs> that the, Spo, the idea that Spo knows LeBron on like a mental personality level better than most coaches who would defend against him like is that something that maybe you can use as a coach I'm just spitballing. I don't know the answer. I think so. I think maybe in the sense of maybe he has an idea of what LeBron might be looking for. But like you said, I mean, you know, we know in the NBA, everyone knows what everyone does. So even with that, there's only so much you can get. And it's not like Spo's going to go out there and play. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's unfortunate for the Lakers. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, exactly. was... I, think I would like, you know, the Lakers chances if Spo was guarding LeBron, but. <laughs> I just think they should actually do that. Like once a series, the coaches should have to play for five minutes. <laughs> and you pick which coach. I mean, can it be Jason Kidd, you know, instead, or you know, the Jason against? I don't know. With I forget who's on Miami staff. And you know, who is on Miami? Let me look this up. Um, I think Chris Quinn, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I think Chris Quinn. Um, any, any thoughts, by the way, from uh, the kid uh, for M NYC, Lawrence Funderburk was an underrated king? Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thought. Okay. We quote you on that. <laughs> let, me, let me see if I can find Miami's coaching staff. Because obviously you're right. The, the ringer for the Lakers would definitely be Jason Kidd. Like he's the one you're throwing out. Well, there he, but he had back spasms too. So maybe it's got to be Phil Handy. Oh, yeah, maybe maybe it's Phil Handy because you know Phil's you know little, Phil's a little older though. Yeah, but it, 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 he has a good even have back spasms. Okay, so, here know. are your options: Spo, uh, Dan Craig. I'm not sure I know who that is. Malik uh, Allen. Malik Allen was Former in the player. league. Yeah, okay. uh, Chris Quinn was in the league. Uh, Shaq mm -hmm. uh, notoriously made fun of him. Uh, Octavio De La Grana. I have no idea who that is. 
and their trainer, Jay Sabal, I don't know about his handle. Um, is Anthony Carter there like that Anthony Carter? Cause he's I their player development guy. That might be that Anthony Carter. Cause I know, I know, I know. Yeah. He's, 13 he's year NBA veteran. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there, there, there's a, there's a nice collection of former Kings coaches and players around the league. And whenever you see him, you go, Hey, you made it out of here. Didn't you? <laughs> And so, they're always like, man, you know how crazy it was. So, so were, you, were, were you one of the people that lit a candle for not being able to cover an L.A. Miami series, like actually in the cities of L.A. and Miami? Yeah, but that's, that's probably good for me. I mean, I don't think my girlfriend would be too happy about the idea of me going between L.A. and Miami without her. Or she'd probably try to figure out a way to go. Like, no, you're not, that's not what we're not going to do. We're not going to have you in L.A. and Miami by yourself. But, right. yeah, I would have I loved to have been able to do that. I mean, it's not by herself. She'd be with you. Just oh, it wouldn't be by myself. You know, oh. she wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. You know, because I mean, I'm from LA, and you know, so that's an easy one. But yeah, she loves Miami. She's actually a big Dwayne Wade fan. I already told her she had to make a choice. <laughs> and what was it? Lakers. Okay. Wow. All right. She likes the Lakers more than she likes Dwayne Wade. Huh. Well, I mean, this is a keeper. This is yeah. definitely a keeper. I mean, what date do you bring that out? Like, do you, you know, is it like a fourth date thing? Like, I need you to pledge allegiance here either to the Lakers or Dwayne Wade before this. She, but she knew. She's, like, she's actually a Laker fan. She's just a big Dwayne Wade fan. It's like, you know, you have, you know, I think a lot of, there's a lot of people I know who when the Lakers weren't good, they kind of started picking their favorite players around the league. And she's like, she's always just like Dwayne Wade. Well, he was the closest thing to Kobe. Like during during those sort of down years, Dwayne Wade was the closest thing to a shooting guard like Kobe in the league. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if you were looking for like a Kobe prototype on a better team, you could naturally gravitate to Wade. Like if that was your style of player, right. something you enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, you know, but you know, but she's also a bit. I think she's more of a Gabrielle Union fan than you know. So that kind of like since she's a Gabrielle Union fan, we all, yeah. Exactly. And Dwayne Wade comes along with that. So I think that's a big part of it for her too, but she's, she's made her allegiance known. That's I mean, We should step back and acknowledge how likable a couple that is. Like who doesn't like Dwayne Wade? You know I mean? Who doesn't like Gabrielle union? <laughs> yeah. She loves them. And you know, so I just, you know, she's, you know, she's like I said, she made it, she made the right choice. You know, she uh, was says hi, by the way, Jason, I, I see, you know, you know, you know, I, we I can't wait for the game because we have a thing on Twitter. Whenever every time the Lakers win, we go back and forth about how does this underdog team do it? You know, how did they overcome? They overcame the greatest eighth seed in NBA history. Somehow, or somehow survived two MVPs from Houston, and they actually beat Denver up three one, which no other team had done this year. Did 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 Waz by the way? Uh, uh... Wazni Lambrey uh, over at The Athletic, part of the Count Dings Network. Great guy. He's been on the show I, at least, I think, a couple times. He did the show. He did this show once. He did our podcast. And we're going to try to get him back for all of these things because he's awesome. Is, is Waz the originator of the We Believe I, origins? Because I've seen that a bunch of different places and the jokes carried over everyone. I'm not quite sure who started it. I don't know if he, I, I, someone, I think actually, I want to say Logan Murdoch sent that to me first. Logan Murdoch from The Ringer. Yeah, I think he was the first one that sent it to me, and then I think he might have posted something about the game, and I think I, I know I've tweeted it out before, and 
all my Bay Area people hate me for. They're like, oh, you think it's funny. You know, we're the We Believe team. I'm like, no, the Lakers are the greatest underdog number one seed in NBA history. They were supposed to lose to Portland. So, I mean, trolling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The concept is so funny. I mean, if you can't troll on social media, what's the point? That's all this is good for. I mean, you're kidding. Right, you kidding? It's know, I, I think, on earth, I'm, but the yeah, joke is funny. Yeah, I'm a Cal grad, so I never spell Stanford correctly on Twitter. And <laughs> someone actually tweeted at me and said, "You know, you spelled Stanford wrong." I'm like, "No, I didn't. There's a U in there." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the we believe Lakers thing is so damn funny. I mean, it's just <laughs> hilarious, and and they might even find it funny. Oh yeah, I I think so. I mean, look. I, I think some of this got exaggerated in the sense that, like, Portland was, I think, on paper before we knew Zach Collins wasn't going to play at all and before Damian Lillard couldn't finish the series. Portland was a legit tougher-than-average eight seed. True. And I think people acknowledging that, and also, too, the Lakers had played like ass. That's what they, yeah, the Lakers look like shit in when they got <laughs> been, I mean, we're sort of forgetting about this. The Lakers looked legitimately terrible. They shot like it, 7% from three-point range and, in those eight games. And also, too, they didn't have Avery Bradley, who would be one of the natural covers right. for Damian Lillard. But that being said, like, there were not a lot of people picking Portland. Like, and True. that's what that's what it makes Charles Barkley. There was Charles Barkley and literally nobody else. It was still. I still had fun with it. I, you know, I still oh, look. Awesome. I still had fun with it. Yeah, I don't. I don't want it to ever end. I, I love the We Believe League. I'm very disappointed that Vegas has that Vegas is isn't giving Miami more respect. It's awesome. It, it's <laughs> just hilarious. Let Let me ask you a question that Brian and I were talking about on, on the most recent podcast, the Lando Lakers. Who do you think this series is more personal for? LeBron or Pat Riley? Well, Pat Riley. You think so? I think I think Pat Riley. You know, this is the same guy who who got into it with his biggest Dwayne Wade and let Dwayne Wade walk because they got into it. So I think it's definitely more personal. I think you know LeBron's been on two different teams now. I always looked at LeBron's years in Miami as a kid who basically never left home for college and finally wanted to live somewhere else. And why not live in Miami? did his four years, you know, in Miami, and he was done with it. I think Pat took that way more personally than LeBron ever could. So, you know, so, you know, like Waz has pointed out, LeBron won a title without Pat Riley. Pat Riley hasn't won one since. <laughs> I I agree with that. The, the main thing that got me wondering about it was just the way Riley dared LeBron to leave and basically turned it into a manhood thing. Like LeBron wasn't man enough to actually stay, and LeBron's got a long memory. I mean, he's he's been doing this Wash King bullshit this entire year, like that nobody was saying, like literally nobody. This was not I like out the one guy who commented on Instagram, "You're washed," and was like, "Okay, I'm washed." Okay, I mean, like, were people noting, "Hey, LeBron is coming off the most serious injury of his career," is turning 35 and has a zillion miles on his odometer. So maybe he might be incrementally, very, very gradually getting a little bit in decline. Sure. That's not washed. Like, that is not washed. It's like if you tell LeBron James that he's the seventh best player in the NBA, you might as well tell him he's washed because that to him is the same. 
Like, he doesn't see a distinction between that. So, you know, saying, hey, you know, he's still a top 10 guy. Don't get me wrong. Like, LeBron's like, fuck you. That's not, <laughs> stop. That's not what we're doing here. Yeah, it's sort so, of the equivalent of, uh, I don't mean to sound racist, but right, like, right. at that point, it's, I don't mean to sound like I'm saying you're washed, but. Right. The minute you start that sentence, he just sees Skip Bayless on your face. Like, <laughs> that, like that's it. Like, so I don't blame him necessarily because these guys are, you know, not necessarily rational about how they take certain forms. They all think they're the best player in the world. Yeah, you can go to the 12 men on the bench and he will tell you exactly why this, the coach has screwed him over and he mm-hmm. should be starting. You know, you, you know, and you can't get to that level if you don't think like that. They're the two-way player on, on right now saying, you know what, I should be starting right now. You know, that Giannis guy might be good, but you know what, you give me that same opportunity, I'll do some things with it. You're talking about Costas, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> that's my that's, that's my joke. People say, well, the Kings should go after Giannis. I said, well, they can go after a member of the family, but they're not going to get Giannis. So. Well, how fast do you think Costas gets released the minute Giannis doesn't sign with the Lakers? <laughs> I mean, 30 seconds? Does it take a minute? I think it just depends if Rob Palenka happens to be on Wi-Fi at the moment. <laughs> It depends. Yeah, it's like okay. Oh, he's not okay. Like you know what? It depends if it's during, like, say, summer league. Maybe you let him finish summer league. <laughs> you let him finish the game or the whole league. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you know. pull him off the floor. He's. It's, <laughs> <laughs> that would be the worst thing ever. You get pulled off the floor during summer league because your brother didn't sign. Like you know what? It's not going to work. You no, know, you can go ahead and you know go. That is especially cruel. <laughs> like that. That feels like you're punishing Costas for something that he really has no control. You are, you know. But hey, that's what you. That's, you know, why not? And the minute, yeah, you know, but the minute the one the uh, Theonis or which I, I there are like eleven of them, because um, there's the one in high school who's supposed to be really like they're all over the place. These right. Kubos. but the one that's on Milwaukee is going to be gone when when Giannis is gone. He's like, saying, "Come on, big bro, please don't leave. I want to jump." I mean, they'll, 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 I mean, you have to if he's on the team, you have to let a more tactful amount of time pass, like a week. But, right. they, but he's not there for long. <laughs> Yeah, you do have to be tactful, though, because Giannis is young enough that you never know if in three years he could be a possibility. So you have to make sure that if you that if you wave Costas, you do this in the most dignified way possible. So you retire his number, but you still let him go. <laughs> you wait till he has an agreement with someone else, then you release him and you tell everyone we did it because he asked us to do it. Right. Yes. You were giving him an opportunity. Exactly. I, how surprised were you by Doc Rivers, the, the news of the Clippers and him parting? If it would have happened right away, I wouldn't have been. The fact that it was two weeks later, I was like, oh, wow, that's, that, that did catch me off guard. I wasn't expecting that. I, if it would have happened right away, I would be like, okay, you know, you know, this is embarrassing. The second time he's blown. No, they, he's had a team with a 3-1 lead. And then just some of the excuses that came out of that locker room were just amazing. I had never heard a team that spent – all the year load managing and then had a you know a break because of a pandemic say they they were too tired in the fourth quarter and then they didn't have any chemistry or cohesion but they had enough chemistry to be up three one and then mm-hmm. to laugh at Damian Lillard and talk about what they were going to do and then and all of a sudden you lose oh we don't have any have any cohesion like I said when I watched them during the year I watched De'Aaron Fox just run through them twice and I said something about that team is not right. I don't. I didn't know what it was. I wasn't around them, but I said they're not right. And I said second round they could be gone. Yeah, 
I mean, they, there there has been seemingly like this disconnect, and, and in the bubble, they were clearly all in different places. And you know, obviously, there were some extenuating circumstances. You know, Montrez Harrell was dealing with a legitimate tragedy. You know, Lou Williams was dealing with a death as well, but then that spun into a completely that, different that spun into wings and lap dances and did they? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, in in a vacuum, I have no issue with wings or lap dances, but you know, I don't. It just and I was just like, Lou, who are you hanging out with who's going to take a picture of? I'm like, yeah, right. And then that, they were like, that's an old picture. He has the NBA bubble like <laughs> mask on. I'm like, come on, man. Oh, dude. You should, have, you should have just said he was a fetishist and called it a day. <laughs> like, that was my thing. It's Lou Williams. You don't think anybody would have been like, okay, <laughs> it's not that far off brand. You yeah, know, my, I think my favorite part of that whole thing is how so outwardly no regrets whatsoever Lou has been about this whole thing. <laughs> like, he's just like, yeah, I'd probably do the same thing again, you know, just make sure nobody took a photo. But yeah, I'd go back to Magic City. That's how you know he's really from Atlanta. And that's how you know he, you know, he really does go there to get food. Because, oh, he, I, yeah, I, I believe that. I've heard, I mean, he had talked about it before. It, yeah, one of the one of the things fascinating about it is how many people came out of like the woodwork being like, yeah, and wings. Well, are I awesome. learned I learned so much about like wing culture and like the restaurant scene and all. Like, I I learned a tremendous amount. Yeah, about- I've never had wings at Magic City, but I have had wings at other gentlemen's clubs, and the wings are good. I, they- so, I mean, I, I can understand. I can understand hypothetically someone going to get the wings because I've had some very good wings you know, while being entertained. I think maybe uh, maybe it's just I haven't – I honestly have not been in a club for a while, like a, like a gentleman's club, because I know for a long time, like the notion of eating in a strip club just seemed unappetizing just because there's too much uncovered body, like in the vicinity of food. I tried the wings. I felt the same way. I was like, you can't eat in this. That's just disgusting. I'm like, well, no, these wings are really good. <laughs> <laughs> just changed the whole concept. Like, you know, I was like, oh, okay. That really changed my whole life. Wings. Who, who do you think the Clippers, like, I get, who do you think they go who at? Higher, right. See, that's a tough one because you 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 would assume, you know, you go to Ty Lue if he doesn't get another job, maybe Sam Cassell, but that job has the potential to be really bad in a year. If Paul, George, and Kawhi both walk, you're probably going to lose Trez already. I mean, that could be a really, you know, they don't have any draft picks basically forever. <laughs> you yeah. take that job, I mean, you you could be in a, a year, you know, in a year going, man, what the hell did I get myself into? It's, it's also just a weird thing because, like, unless you really believe, like, Ty Lue has a ring. And he had a lot of success in a small sample size, but it is a small sample size, even though I know he's really respected around the league. Unless you're earmarking Lou, you know, just because of that part of it. I mean, uh, Ty Lou, that part of his resume, like there's nobody that stands out to me as like an obvious upgrade over Doc Rivers. Yeah, and that's the tough thing. And like I said, it's, it's not an easy job to take. You know, I, I think coaching stars is – is, is much harder than people want to admit. It sounds easy to say, well, you got stars, just let them go. But like I said, Doc's coached stars before. He couldn't get these guys together. So, I mean, I don't, yeah, that's just, it was just, I mean, you would think somebody yeah. would want it in LA, 
you know, there, you know, the owner has money, the owner will spend money. But what if you take that job and then a year, you know, Paul and Kawhi decide they want to team up in some other city. Now, what do you have? <laughs> you know, wow. you, you can't you can't bank on using your draft picks to rebuild. Maybe you just try to do like this, the reverse of your own uh, OKC deal where you just get a, you know, what OKC did, just get a bunch yeah. of picks for not those for guys. George. Nobody's doing that. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> not, after, not after this run, no. All right. So uh, I got a game for you guys. Um, and it's in honor of Jason, who we talked about before, uh, covers the Sacramento Kings for The Athletic. I've got a game that is a uh, different trivia questions about Kings that involve Kings, not the Sacramento Kings, because that would give Jason a huge advantage over Brian. That's true. Well, he, I, there's no Luke Walton question then. Um, okay. Real, real quick. Uh, what, what do you I make? Thought, I thought Luke would be the answer to one of the questions. Like, who was oh, no, we'll, we'll ask the Luke thing before we go. Yeah. yeah uh, right. I thought you meant a question about Luke. We'll, we'll, oh. we'll get to that. Okay. Um, oh, I'm not, there's no rush. Luke's my buddy. He's, he'll, he won't be, he won't mind. Okay, um, so this, these different questions are about kings or involve kings in some way, and uh, you'll each get a chance to answer. It's not you have to answer quicker than the other one. So we begin. The one championship in the Sacramento Kings franchise history, technically speaking, happened in 1951 with the Rochester Royals. The leading scorer in that playoffs was a fellow by the name of Arnie Risen. What was his nickname sure. according to basketball reference? A stilts, B big slim, C stretch, D all of the above. Brian goes first. I'm gonna go stretch because that feels very 1951, although big slim is the best one. I'm gonna go big slim. Uh, you're both incorrect. It is all of the above. And just to let you know how much the game has changed, old stilts. 6'9", and was the tallest guy on this team. Um, <laughs> he was also a teammate of Ed Mike and George's brother. And that means that the Mike and brothers both got rings. Who holds, <laughs> who holds the record for the most games played as a Los Angeles King? A, Dave Taylor. B, Dustin Brown. C, Luke Robitaille. D, Anze Kopitar. Jason first. Big hobby, big hockey fan. Kopitar. Yeah. Kopitar I'm sorry. going back and forth between Robitaille and I'm going to say Dave Taylor. I think it is Dave Taylor. You are both incorrect. It is oh, Dustin Robitaille. It is Dustin Brown with Oh, me. it is? Get, the, get out. Dustin yeah. Brown. Dave Taylor second. Oh. Uh, but it is Dustin Brown. I 1, it was Dave Taylor definitely. Uh, so you guys both sitting on zeros. Henry VI was named king at an exceptionally young age. How young? A, nine months old. B, two years old. C, four years old. D, five years old. Brian goes first. I'm going to go nine months. Jason. I was going to say nine months, but I'll say the next youngest. Well, you, you're allowed to say his answer. Okay, I'm going to go with nine months. Yeah, in case that wasn't clear, you guys are allowed the same one. Okay, yeah, I'm going to go with nine months. Uh, you are both correct. Nine months old. Uh, the only child of Henry V. Um, his father unexpectedly died when he was an infant, which meant that he was a king at nine months old, which just goes to show mon monarchies are a terrible idea. <laughs> True or false? Henry III was once gifted a polar bear from the king of Norway. Jason. I'm going to say false. I'm going to say Brian. true. 
It is true. Uh, King Hakan IV uh, gave it to Henry III, and he regularly had, uh, I guess, his servants take it down to the river every morning to swim and catch fish. Uh, it sounds like a pretty crappy gig. Yeah, people did that kind of shit back then. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. So Brian up two to one. Which of these movies, I'm going to name four movies, only one of them with King in the title did not yield an Oscar nomination for either Best Actor, Best Actress, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress. One of these four movies. The King's Speech, The Fisher King, The King and I, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. I guess... Jason first. Okay. Now, what were they again? The King's Speech, The Fisher King, The King and I, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. <laughs> Only one of these did not get any Oscar nomination for acting at all. Oh, see, I'm not good on my King movie, so I'm going to say Lord of the Rings. Brian. Uh, King's Speech definitely did. Fisher King did. Um, I'm going to say, I don't think anybody got nominated for Lord of the Rings. Is that your answer? Yes. You are both correct. Lord of the Rings that year won Best Picture, but did not have any acting nominations. Uh, next one, Brian is first. True or false? There was a direct-to-video sequel to The Lion King called The Lion King One and a Half, which actually came out after the direct-to-video sequel, The Lion King 2. That's that's false. <laughs> you made that up. <laughs> I would say that's false. You are both incorrect. It is true. <laughs> the Lion King 2 came out in 1998, and then Lion King 1 and a half came out in 2004. I thought that My was strange. Was gonna kill me. <laughs> I thought it was weird too, but it is true. Uh, somebody was like, oh shit, we left a Lion King movie in the vault. We forgot about it. We got half of a lion. Oh, I when I went through that, I was like, wait, what? And I reread it. It is true. Uh, Jason goes first on this one. What is B.B. King's given name? Rufus, Robert, Riley, or Reginald? Oh. As much as I love Memphis, I and listen to music, I should know that. I'm not sure. I'm going to say Reginald. It's probably wrong, but I'm going to say Reginald. What are my choices? Rufus, Robert, Riley, Reginald. I thought Riley. That's totally it is right. Riley. The, oh, it wow, is Riley. Dead. It was originally spelled R I L E I G H, and I could not, for the life of me, track down his name is Riley B King. I could not track down what the B actually stood for. Huh. Um, so Brian is up four to two. Which Beastie Boy? had King in his nickname, Adam Yauk, Adam Horowitz, Mike Diamond, none of them. Brian goes first. Hauk. Yauk? Yeah. Jason. Oh, man. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to do the Beastie Boys in my head. MCA. I'm going to say I'm none of them. I'm the confidence of my answer might. I'm going to say none of them. I can't think of who would. I can't think of. I'm going to say none of them. Oh, it's actually Adam Horowitz. He was King Ad Rock. So uh, still four to two. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Four to three. Four to three. I apologize. Four to three. How many brothers? I learned this. I had no idea. How many brothers are in the band, the Kings of Leon? Two, three, four, 
or nobody in the band is related. Like the Doobie Brothers. Yes. Uh, Jason goes first. I've never heard of the Kings of Leon, so I'm going to say none of them are related. I once vacationed in Leon. It was nice. Uh, I will go with three. It is three. There are apparently, I had no idea, three brothers in the Kings of Leon. Wow. Johnny Cordova, 81. Johnny New, Sector Cruz. Thanks for not. Yeah. Where was this when I needed it? So up five to three. A couple more questions, Jason. You're still in this thing. Uh, You're going to go. Brian's going to go first on this one. On average, how far does a king crab walk each day underwater? Half a mile, one mile, two miles, or four miles? Well, it depends if they have, they got to get their steps in on their app. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go two miles. Jason. A lot if you're a crab. I was going to say two miles, too, thinking an entire day that, yeah, two miles. It's one mile, which also I think is still pretty amazing it's pretty good uh, they they yeah. do that from depths of up to 300 feet also they have blue blood it turns out and uh, during their yearly migration a king crab can walk up to 100 miles which again i think is pretty damn impressive for a crab <laughs> final question uh brian is up 5 to 3 but as luck would have it jason this last question just happens to be worth 3 so you have an opportunity to win this thing a group of king cobras is known as a quiver, a stand, a knot, or an obstinacy. Obstinacy. I'm sorry. An obstinacy. A quiver, a stand, a knot, or an obstinacy. Jason, I believe, goes first. I'm going to say a stance. I believe it's a knot. You are both wrong. It is a quiver of cobras. A stand is a group of flamingos. A knot is a group of toads. And an obstinacy is a group of buffalo. So Brian yeah, wins this hard to move. They are hard to move. A bunch of buffalo don't want to go anywhere. They're, they're just staying right where they are. So uh, Brian wins this thing five to three, but it was a, it was a tight match. A uh, very tight match. Uh, real it's quick, the Luke, <laughs> the Luke Walton question. Uh, how would you evaluate his first season there? Uh, That's a tough one just because he didn't have Marvin Bagley most of the year. He didn't have De'Aaron Fox a good chunk of the year. Uh, His starting center, Rashawn Holmes, missed like 25 games. You know, he made, you know, by the end of the year, Buddy Heald couldn't stand him because he put Buddy Heald on the bench. Oh, he started playing better, ironically. Yeah, but don't tell Buddy that. You know, Buddy's, you know, Buddy's, you know, social media liking stuff about going to Philly. And it's like, Buddy, I'm going to tell Buddy, you don't want to go to Philly. I mean, you, you think you want to go to Philly? You think the people in Sacramento are hard on you? Oh, you don't want to go to Philly. <laughs> you know, and I, and it's, 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 it's funny for me, you know, following the Lakers, a lot of the complaints King fans had were like Laker fans, you know, the rotation. You know, Luke also came in, they had won 39 games the year before. So if everyone's thinking that, you know, this should be a playoff team, but I think actually in this coming season, I think Luca's is in, in a good spot in the sense that everyone assumes he's going to get fired after next season anyway, because it's the new GM. I mean, so go ahead and do whatever the hell you want, Luke. You know, you don't have, you know, it's not like it was with Vlade where there were things Vlade wanted to see that, you know, to work with him. I think Luke's going to go out there and just do whatever he wants, essentially, because what do you got to lose at this point? Because no one expects anything from him now. Right. I mean, it's tough. We, we we watched Luke 
you know, coaches last year with the Lakers with a president of basketball operations who clearly wanted to fire him. Like mm-hmm. this was, you know, Magic's desire to go in a different direction was not uh, subtle. No. And, and because of that, you know, it, it it's difficult to operate under those conditions. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Brian, frozen? I think he is frozen. Or he's just he may be frozen. Like- yeah, but yeah, I think I you know I know Luke. It wasn't the a, the greatest year, but I do think there was there. They made some improvement over the year. I think you know De'Aaron played better over the course of the year with Luke. Um, so th- that's probably the most important thing with the Kings that De'Aaron Fox keeps getting better. But you know, like the new GM, you know, they're not going to fire him now just because I think financially for the Kings it makes no sense to be paying him Luke and his staff. So you know he'll get at least next year, and I just like I said, you know what? No one expects anything. Maybe there's less pressure on him because of that, you know. And I like Luke. I think you know Luke is the first coach I think that I'm older than, which is funny, you know, oddly enough. And I actually covered Luke in college, which is also another oddity that I watched him post up my Cal Golden Bears in the Pac-10 tournament repeatedly. We covered him as a player. Like it's yeah, always so, a little yeah, odd, so, you know. But you know, being in Sacramento is just a weird thing, anyway. It's just always something going on you know you had the whole story earlier in the year where the owner sends a group text oh i don't know if that you know or, or there's like a story about a text going out or does the owner support the coach and all the you know all that stuff and he wants him out so we had all that stuff going on it's it's, it's been a it was a wild year for luke you know but i think coming from la even with that it's kind of a it's a, it's a mild thing compared to la uh, last question, I know I, or I should say I, I'm relaying, it's not my question, but from Sector Cruz for you, how many cigarettes does Vladi smoke? I have no idea, but I did have a few conversations with him while he was smoking, if that means anything. I mean, you know, you'd be like, like at the combine or something, he's just sitting outside, you know, you just sit down, I'm like, I don't smoke cigarettes, I'm gonna sit over here and we're gonna, you know, chit chat, you know, but it's. It is funny that you know you don't really run into cigarette smokers <laughs> in yeah, too often anymore. Well, especially Anywhere. yeah, I mean, especially former professional athletes who smoke. Yeah, that was one of the jokes about him when he was playing for the Kings. You know, he got to go through his, you know, got to go through his, you know, his pack a day or whatever. I don't know if it was a pack a day, but that was one of the jokes they would make about Vlade. So like I said it was, like I said, it was tough too because I like Vlade. You know. Like I know it's a cheer for him as a kid, but then some of the stuff he did as a GM, you're just going, come on, Vladi, what are you doing? You know, it's just. Did you ever right. tell him about going uh, on the bus to that Ralph's? Yeah, I actually brought the card and showed it to him, and he told me the card was probably worth less because he signed it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, that was, yeah, so, yeah, he yeah, he said, and he told me, thank you for making him feel old when I told him I met him when I was, like, in the fourth grade or whatever it was. He was like, yeah, thanks a lot, I'm old. We're all getting old. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. Really old. It sneaks up on you, man. Um, right, man. This is a ton of fun. Thank you for, for the hour and then, you know, bleeding over a little bit into the next one. Uh, uh, Jason no Jones covers the athle- uh, covers the NBA for The Athletic um, and does just does a great job. We've, we've loved reading your stuff for years. Yeah, so thanks, really fun to have you on here. Tomorrow night, guys, it's – we know the finals start on Wednesday. The Dodgers open the playoffs on Wednesday too. It's like yes. baseball is happening. 
Uh, so tomorrow night, and Jason Jones will be watching probably split screen, I think, Dodgers yeah. and the NBA. He's going to be. Yeah. Please don't yeah. hurt my feelings, Doc. Please don't do it to me again. Oh, God. Please. Best of three, man. Anything can happen. It's such a weird, like. Yeah. Brewers aren't good, but it's kind of like bullshit, honestly, that the Dodgers have to play a wild card in the way they dominated that. In my fears, they'll I'm like, please don't do this to me. I live in Northern California. I have to hear that shit about even years. We've got three since 88. I don't want to hear that. Please don't do this to me, Dodgers. I can't I can't keep living up here with that. It would be pretty painful i gotta say I, I as i'm not a dodger fan so to speak but i don't dislike them either and you know just being in this city long enough i i know what it would feel like Oof. Oof. that would be just I, I i i can't take it i'd have to log off i have to go and go in hiding for a couple of weeks you know like i couldn't do it i just i need to, i i need this almost as much as they do it's it, it's a weird it's the baseball's weird and it's a weird year and it makes me nervous so tomorrow night though we'll get ready we haven't talked much baseball at all we'll get ready for baseball and all kinds of other things with uh lana berry and molly knight and then wednesday it's game one of palooza thursday mo de keel friday more nba and also a little nfl with uh vinnie bonsignor covers the raiders for in vegas now so uh lots of great stuff this week again jason thank you so much for the hour uh it was a lot of fun Love to do it again sometime. Oh, definitely. We've got to do this again. This is a lot of fun. Absolutely, man, for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs>